Thanks for tuning in to the preaching and teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach with Pastor Dave Delaney. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Romans. Romans in chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9, verse number 4 and verse number 5. We started these two verses last week, and we made it through the first two points, all right? So we're going to try to do a little bit better than that this morning, try to get all the way through these two verses. Romans chapter 9, verse number 4, verse number 5. And our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply to walk through the Bible together. Next chapter, next verse. That's how we say it. So we study the Word of God in this way. We began the book of Romans at the very beginning of this year. We come now to Romans chapter 9, verse number 4, verse number 5. And in fact, if you, if you found your place and if you're willing and if you're able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 9. Verse number four, verse number five. Paul has concluded chapter number eight. So nine comes after eight, right? You know that, don't you? You got that much down. And in Romans eight, it's probably one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Listen to how Romans eight, chapter one begins. There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So because of what Jesus did for us, when you and I feel this guilt in our lives, when we wrestle, we don't always do the things we should. That's Romans 7. And because we don't always do the things we should, sometimes we do the things we shouldn't. And we sometimes, because of that, we feel this guilt, we feel this condemnation, and we feel as if we're being separated from God in some way. And so Romans 8 is Paul's explanation of how that's not true. There's no condemnation to, to those that are in Christ. There's no separation to those that are in Christ. That's how he ends. He begins chapter 8, no condemnation. He ends chapter 8, no separation. And the middle of that is because there's no condemnation, there's no separation, because your identification is in Christ. And because you are in Christ, Christ has put his spirit in your heart. So through the Holy Spirit, Christ and God are working, securing, providing, and keeping you. That's how he ends. Listen to verse number 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what he just said? Is sometimes in your life you're wondering, does God still love me? Look at what I'm experiencing. Look what I'm doing. Look at how I'm feeling. Look at where I'm at. Does God still love me? And the resounding answer from Paul is yes. And here's how. Here's how you know God still loves you. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, this, this may be the news that somebody in the room, this, this, this may be all you need to get you through the week. Here it is. God loves you. God loves you. I don't know who else in your life doesn't love you. I don't know what other loves have hurt you. I don't know what other love you're looking for. But God loves you. And so Paul says in chapter 9 then, that he wishes that everyone would come to know that. And, and don't you, if you do know that that's God's love, don't you wish your neighbors would know that? Don't you wish your family members who reject the love of God, don't you wish they would come to know that? Don't you wish your kids would come to know the love of God? Every parent in this room, I think, has that feeling. Man, I wish my kids would realize how much God loves them. Don't you wish your, your parents would come to know that? If, you, if you're here and your mom and dad, they don't know Jesus, don't you just wish that they would know that, they would listen long enough to hear that God loves them and he proved that love through Jesus? That's Paul's feeling in verse number one, verse number two, verse number three. Paul says, I wish everyone would come to know that. And if I could, I would wish myself accursed so that everybody else might come to know that. Look at verse number four. So who are Israelites? Okay, so, so he's beginning here and he's helping us understand that the Israelites had a specific privilege. They had a specific privilege, a, a specific benefit that was given to them. And here, here are the benefits. To whom pertaineth adoption and glory and the covenants and the giving of law and the service of God. So that's temple worship. Okay, that's how you can understand the service of God. So who was given the temple and, and the tabernacle? And the promises. I'm in verse number four, the very end, starting verse five. And whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. So who had all these privileges? The Jewish people did. The Israelites, who were Israelites. The people had all of these privileges. They had the law, they had the Torah, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the temple worship, they had the tabernacle worship, they had David and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jonah and all the prophets. They had Aaron and the Levitical order. They had temple worship by way of sacrifice, by lambs and, 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 and goats and, and, and bulls and and, and pigeon doves. I mean, they had all of these things that they could see God. They had the Shekinah glory that came down, the cloud that led them through the desert. They had the manna. They had all of these things. And here's what Paul is saying. But we have something better. We have something better. What's better? What's better than all the stuff that the Old Testament had? And here it is, ready? Christ. Do you see it in verse 5? What's better than all of that? Christ. Christ is the subject in verse 5. Christ, who is over all. Christ.
Christ, who is God, blessed forever. Amen. Listen, they had a lot of privileges in the Old Testament, but we have a greater privilege. And here's the greatest privilege of them all, to know Christ and him crucified. So here's how we're going to do today, right? Watch this. Here it is. This is, this is we're going to say this all throughout the day. And I want you to remember it. Here, ready for this? Watch. There's nobody like Jesus. If you're from the South, it sounds like this. There ain't nobody like Jesus. How many of y'all are Southern? Let me see. Okay, so you understood exactly what I just told to you. There is nobody like Jesus. There was nobody born like Jesus. There was no one who lived like Jesus. There was no one who spoke like Jesus. There is no one who died like Jesus. There's no one who resurrected like Jesus. Hey, listen, there's no one who's coming back like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. That's what he's saying here. How is that true for you and me? How is, how is that true for you and me? What does Jesus do for us. We're going to look at that in four and five, all right? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Use your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. There's nobody like Jesus. What you get in Romans chapter four or Romans chapter nine, verse four and five is you get an overview of how God worked in the lives of the men and women of the Old Testament. How God worked in the lives of his people in the Old Testament in order that when Jesus came in the new, we might be able to identify him, to see him for all that he is. So God is at work in the family of Abraham in such a way to help you and me realize that when Jesus comes, that we can see him for who he is. We've already said two of these points. I'm going to give them to you by way of review. We said, first, Jesus brings us into the, into the people of God. Jesus brings us into the people of God. That's the word adoption. To whom pertaineth adoption. So we are brought into God's family by way of Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. No man comes to the Father but by me. Listen, you can be in God's family. And the only way to be in God's family, it's not by being religious. And it's not by being civil. And it's not by being moral. It, it, the, the way to get into God's family is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us into the people of God. Jesus, second, displays the very power of God. That's the word glory. Look at it. To whom pertaineth adoption and the glory. We said glory is one of those words that's very difficult to understand. Glory is more like the word beauty and less like the word basketball. If I said, tell me what a basketball is. Man, you could say it's this pumpkin-colored ball, leather, got some rough spots on it, some tread across the top so you can grip it easily. It's like this. You might even use your hand to show me what basketball looks like. If I said, tell me what the word beauty is, that's a, that's a completely different subject. That's a, that's a more difficult thing to explain. And the word glory is the same way. If we said, what is the glory of God? To which all of us are supposed to be doing everything toward. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
I wonder if last week, everything you did, every attitude you had, every action you showed, every part of your speech, even the way you did your work, treated your family, talked to your husband, treated your wife, was it done to the glory of God? It's all supposed to be done to the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? The Bible says God doesn't share his glory with anyone. So we're supposed to do everything to the glory of God. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. And the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. So the heavens shout, here is the glory of God. And we said a simple way to understand glory is to understand the glory of God is the power of God manifest. It's God flexing his muscles, if you would. It's God saying, look at who I am. Look at how strong I am. The heavens declare the glory of God. The clouds show what our God is like. The sun teaches us what our God is like. The blue expanse of the sky tells us something about who God is. The deep wonders of space and galaxies and stars and the Milky Way and, and the far reach of galaxy upon galaxy shows us something, shouts at us, this is what I am like. That's what he's doing in heaven. The heavens declare the glory of God. So is your marriage declaring the glory of God? Is your parenting declaring the glory of God? Is your Christianing declaring the glory of God? Is your husbanding declaring the glory of God? Is your wifing declaring the glory of God? Are, are, are you as a son or a daughter, as a friend, are you declaring over and above glory of God? Here is what God, here is how God demonstrates himself in the world. We said Jesus brings us into the people of God. We said Jesus displays the very power of God. John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John said, you wanna see the glory of God? You wanna see the power of God? You wanna see the manifestation of God's might? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. There, there, there's nobody like Jesus. And Jesus brings us into the people of God. Jesus displays the very power of God. New territory. Here we go. Number three. Jesus displayed the pattern of God. That, that's made up in this word covenant. Do you see the word covenant? Look at verse four. To whom pertaineth adoption and the glory and the covenants. So Abraham is given the covenant of circumcision. Moses is given the covenant of the law. David is given the covenant of an eternal throne and kingdom. So, so covenant is an understanding of what God would do for his people who went after him. A covenant is an understanding. It's God going on the record. That's how you can understand covenant. It's God going on the record for how he will operate inside of the lives of his people. You can understand covenant as, as an agreement. We, we would have an idea of covenant when it comes to marriage. When you get married and you say the I do's, right? And you say, for better or for worse, it's always for worse. I want you to know that. For richer or for poorer, it's always for poorer. I want you to know that. 
When you, when you say, for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, I keep myself only for you, so long as we both shall live. You know what you just entered into? A covenant. You made a covenant with her in the sight of God. You made a covenant with him in the sight of God, saying, this is what I am agreeing to. I'm going on the record that no matter what may come in our relationship, you can hold me, look, you can hold me faithful. You can count me true. The covenants. God's covenants is a measure of his faithfulness. Everything in life changes. Everything in life changes. Seasons come, seasons go. Nations rise, nations fall. Kings, queens, princes, presidents, rulers, dictators, tyrants, they all come onto the scene and they all go right back off of the scene again. Everything in life changes, but there is one that never changes. And the one who never changes is God himself. He is faithful and he is true. This is what God is saying by way of the person of Jesus. Here is my faithfulness. Jesus proved himself faithful and true. Not in that he demonstrated the power of God over miracles or by way of miracles. Jesus demonstrated himself true and faithful when he kneels in the garden of Gethsemane and prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. Jesus proves the faithfulness of God, that he's willingly to lay down his life for our own sin. And Jesus demonstrates the faithfulness of God. And listen, because God is faithful, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in this morning, no matter what your financial situation looks like, no matter what kind of rela relational problems you're having, no matter what medical diagnosis you got last week, no matter what your friends said or what your boss said, no matter any of that, you can count God to be faithful to you. And Jesus fulfills the faithfulness of God. Listen, here's what he said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Anybody ever had somebody leave them before? Anybody know the leaving feeling? Somebody decides they don't like you anymore. You cross the line. That's the last time. They stormed out. They left you. They abandoned you. They walked out on you. Listen, God has never left your side. Friends may leave. Parents may leave. Kids may leave. Church members may leave. Pastors may leave. Husbands may leave. Wives may leave. Aunts, uncles, they may leave. Listen, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. There is one person whose faithfulness you can count on, and that is the faithfulness of God Almighty. 
Jesus fulfills the very pattern of God. What is God like? He is faithful in never to forget and never to leave and never to neglect and in never to abandon us. Jesus fulfilled next the principles of God. That's made up in the word laws. Look at it. To whom pertaineth adoption and and the glory and and the covenants and the giving of the law. Who, Who is it that fulfilled the law? Who is it that perfectly obeyed all of the law? Not only the Ten Commandments, but all 600 and plus Mosaic Commandments recorded for us in Deuteronomies, Leviticus, the book of Exodus. Who is it that fulfilled every law from the day of his birth until the day of his death? Who is it that was tempted in all points like we are and yet without sin? That is Jesus Christ. That's who that was. And Jesus Christ, because he has obeyed all points of the law, has received the blessing of obedience. Okay, I want you to put your Old Testament hat on for a second. You remember, in, remember they go into the promised land and, and they divide up onto both sides of the mountain? Joshua says, this group of people go over here, this group of people, and they're standing on opposite sides of the mountain. And then this group says, we will obey the Lord and we will do right. And then this group over here echoes, and you will be blessed. And we, and, and we will honor our mothers and honor our fathers. And then this group answers, and we will be blessed. And, and, and we, will not, we will not covet that which is our neighbor's. And then this group answers, and we will be blessed. And, and we will not commit adultery or fornication. And then this group answers, and we will be blessed. Remember that? And they have this big back and forth. And then, and then it's this group starting to like, and, and, and if we forsake our, 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 our mothers and fathers, and then this group answers, and we will be cursed. You remember that? And there's this huge back and forth about an attachment. There's this blessing that comes through or on the other side of obedience. And there's a cursing, a a separation, a punishment, a consequence that comes on the other side of disobedience. There's a blessing on the other side of obedience. And here it is. You get to the New Testament. Here's what it says. All the promises of God, all the blessings of God, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, all the blessings of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can I receive all the blessings of God? Because, listen, I, I try to do right. I try to do good. I try, I, I try to walk away from sin. I try to resist the devil and flee from him. I'm trying to forsake all those crazy things from our youth. But so many times, man, the devil is wily and crafty. And he trips me up and he causes me to get an attitude or a spirit or use my words in a way that slanders somebody. Or I find this deep sense of covetousness in my heart because I think they don't deserve it but I do deserve it. And so many times I trip and fall and come up short and what removes that feeling of guilt and what removes that feeling of doubt is remembering that the blessings are ours not because we are sinless, but the blessings are ours because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. You follow me? And Jesus fulfilled the very principles of God. And in Jesus, all the blessings are yes and amen. Those are two really good Baptist words right there. Yes and amen. All the blessings in Jesus 
yes and amen. And Jesus fulfills the principles of God. Listen, what we say at the very beginning, hey, there's nobody like Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect sinless life. And watch, when Jesus lives this perfect sinless life of which you and I could never do, he doesn't live this perfect sinless life and then hold it up in front of us and say, nah, 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 boo, boo, look what I have. Nah, 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 boo, boo, I'm better than you, who, right? He doesn't do that. No, Jesus lives this perfect sinless life of which you and I have failed miserably over and over and over again. Even this very week would tell on us for our failures in living the perfect sinless life. Yet Jesus did. And then Jesus laid his life down for us on the cross. So Jesus lived the life that I could not live. And then Jesus laid it down and died the death that I deserve to die. And then he says to all those that would believe Believe on him. All the blessings of God are yes and amen. That's a really big understanding of the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of those $5 words that are really impress your relatives over Thanksgiving break, right? What are you guys studying at church? Substitutionary atonement. Ooh, you sound smart. And all it means is Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. Jesus died the death that I should have died. And Jesus traded me places by faith through grace. By faith through grace. You're, you're looking at me like you're not quite for sure substitutionary atonement. Let me illustrate it. Come here, Michael. It's always going to be a good illustration when Michael is involved, okay? It's like, it's, here's the understanding of substitutionary atonement. Jesus lives the perfect life that I could not live, sinless, in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Jesus lives this life that I could not live. And instead of holding it up in front of us saying, ha ha, look, ha ha, you can't get this, ha ha, ha ha. Don't you want it? Here, here, you want it? You want it? You want it? Ah, too slow. No, Jesus, look, Jesus trades us places. Let's trade jackets, Michael. He trades us places. This is what he does for us. This is the exchange he makes for us. And man, we come up short so many times. There's no way we could have ever lived that life. There's no way we could have ever done that. And yet Jesus willingly traded us places. He who was rich for our sakes became poor that we who were poor might be made rich. God who had everything humbled himself and became nothing so we who were nothing could become everything by faith in him. That's substitutionary atonement. And Jesus fulfills for us. Man, this is a big jacket. That's a, that's a big man right there. We're on the same team. No, you can have that. Go ahead. 
Jesus fulfills for us the promises or the principles. Next, Jesus fulfills for us the very presence of God. Jesus fulfills for us the very presence of God. That's made up in this phrase. Look at it. And the service of God. You see that phrase? And the service of God. That's that's specifically talking about the temple. Tabernacle worship. The tabernacle or the temple was the sacrificial system that was put into place by God at the end of Exodus, the beginning of Leviticus. It's the way that the children of Israel would come into the presence of God. And at the tabernacle is where they found the very presence of God himself, where God would descend in the cloud. And there, the Ark of the Covenant sat. The temple was where God visited. Look, look, look. The temple was where God visited. And and every... Three times a year, the the Jewish people would journey to the temple, and there they would get to visit with God. This is a privilege that is theirs. But listen to what is so much better for ours in Christ. The temple was where God visited, but in Christ is where God dwells. You don't have to journey one time a year to a temple. Why? Because in Christ, God dwells in our midst. Man, you went to the tabernacle, you went to the temple, you had to camp, you had to find a place to stay, you had to live with relatives, you had to camp outside in the desert. But in Christ, we have access to God. We can come boldly into his throne of grace. In Christ, we don't just occasionally have God visit our lives every now and then. No, in Christ, God is in every moment of of your life. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You want to see how close Christ is to you? You study the Gospels and you'll realize that there is nothing that can stop Jesus from getting to you. You want to see how, how close Christ is? There is nothing that can stop Jesus from getting to you. If there's waves, if there's storms in your life right now, don't worry. Jesus walks on waves. If there's sickness or medical problems in your life, don't worry. Jesus heals disease. If there's walls between you and your relationship with God, if there's walls between you and him, don't worry. Jesus walks through walls. If there's death that's threatening to separate your relationship with God, don't worry. Jesus conquered death. There is nothing that can separate you from God because of Christ. He is the very presence of God in your life. That's what he is. And Jesus is the presence of God. He's a, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Hey, listen, listen. There's nobody like Jesus. There ain't nobody like Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets said. That, that's found in this word. Look at, the, look at the last verse or the last phrase of verse 4. And the promises. And the promises. At the time that it was written, about 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature. Meaning it it predicted something, it prophesied something that would come to pass. And a great deal of that prophecy dealt specifically with the Lord Jesus or the coming of the Messiah. 
That Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. That the prophets spoke the word of God. But look here. Jesus is the word of God. You see why it's better to know Jesus? The prophets spoke the word of God, but Jesus, Jesus is the word of God. So it would be far greater privilege for you and for me to know who Jesus is than to have prophets living among us. Hebrews 1 says, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto our fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Better to know Jesus than to know all the prophets of the Old Testament. Better to know Jesus than to know all the prophecies that were given. Why? Because the prophets spoke God's word, but Jesus is God's word. Hey, don't miss the application there either. Don't, don't give up on the application. Just settle for the prophets. Listen, we have a God who is speaking we have a God who speaks to us. That God is actively speaking in your life, even right now. God, by His Word and through His Spirit, speaks in our lives, wooing us and, and calling us and, and pulling us, saying, this, this isn't a good affection to have. This is not a good attitude. This isn't a good place to go. This is a good place to go. And God is constantly at work and speaking in our lives. Now, Jesus fulfilled all, the pro all that the prophets said. And look, look how He ends. And whose are the fathers? And Jesus is greater than all the patriarchs. That's what he's saying. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than David. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than Isaac. Je Jesus is greater than Isaiah. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is greater than them all. Listen, look here. There ain't nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than them all. Hey, look here. Jesus is greater than you think he is. Jesus is greater than you think he is. So what stands, here's what Paul's saying, what stands over both the New Testament and the Old Testament? It's not simply a pattern. It's not simply a principle. It's not simply a promise. It's not simply a plan. What stands over both the Old and the New Testament is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. There's nobody like Jesus. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus in the New the Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus in the New Testament. So what he's saying, look at, look at the next phrase. And of whom concerning the flesh, Christ came. You know what we celebrate at Christmas? God in the flesh. The incarnation. God wrapped in flesh. That God wrapped himself in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God humbled himself in the form of a babe. He entered into our world by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Look here, there's nobody like Jesus. He tells us two things. This is how we're going to end. He tells us two things. He says, first, Christ is supreme over all. The subject of verse 5 is actually in the middle, not at the beginning. The structure of the sentence is different than how we write today. The subject of the verse is the word, the name, Christ. So whose are the fathers and of who concerning the flesh? Christ. Look at the, look at the verbs. Christ came. Christ came in the flesh by way of the person named Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. That's why we say there's nobody like Jesus. That's why we sing praises to Jesus. That's why it's such good news to hear that God loved you because he sent Jesus to die for you. That's why it matters that God is with you. Why? Because Jesus, his very presence signifies God's faithfulness in our lives. And Jesus Christ is supreme over all. So watch it. Christ, who is over all. Do you see it? Christ, who is over all. Christ is over it all, which means it's all under his control. You ever feel like your life is getting out of control? Any parents in the room ever feel like, if I could just control this five-year-old, right? You ever feel like your finances are just running out of control? You ever feel like you're just losing control in your home? You ever feel like you're just losing control at the office? Listen, it's all under his control. It's all under his rule. Christ reigns over it all. Christ rules over it all. It all is under his feet. Christ is in control of it all because look here, Christ created it all. Christ controls it all because Christ created it all. He made it. Before him, there was nothing. And then he speaks and then there's everything. Christ creates it all. This is the demonstration of God's power that out of nothing, God creates everything. Now, here's a way to appreciate this. Watch. Here's how you appreciate God creating everything out of nothing. When you realize that you have never made anything out of nothing. You, you, you've made things but you always made them out of something, not out of nothing. I'm gonna illustrate it this way. We're gonna have people over for lunch this afternoon and I already know what Amanda made. She made some chicken and I can't wait to eat it. And sometimes when we have people over, people will come into the room and I'll say, Amanda, tell everybody what we're having for lunch. And Amanda will say something like this. She'll say, well, I made some chicken. And I always wanna stop and go, time out, time out. She didn't make that chicken. She bought it. She fried it. She battered it. She spiced it. She flavored it. 
She chopped it, but she didn't make it. She didn't make that chicken. She prepared what was already made. You see how different that is between me and you and God? No, we've never made anything out of nothing, but God made everything out of nothing. Here, here's how one old preacher said, God stepped out on nothing. He looked at nothing. He spoke to nothing. And he, when he got done, everything appeared. There ain't nobody like Jesus. Christ rules over it all because it all belongs to him. Look here. Including you. He formed you, he fashioned you, he planned you, he purposed for you, including you. You see how helpful that is? Man, there are so many times in my life where I feel like my day is just out of control. And there are so many seasons in my life where I feel like there's absolutely no purpose and I'm just wandering through. And there are times in my life where I feel full of doubt and guilt and regret over decisions I've made. And I just wonder in those moments when it's all raining in on me if in fact God really does love me. And what Paul says is, oh, there's no, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no separation in Christ because our identification is in Christ. And there's nobody like Jesus. You see how helpful that is? Oh, there's nobody like Jesus. Jesus is supreme over it all. Let's, let's get out of here on this one. Jesus is God. Look at the verse. Christ came. We celebrate that at Christmas. Christ is overall. It's all under his control. It's all created by it. And Christ, God, blessed forever. So it's not, it's not saying Christ is the one that God blessed forever. It's saying Christ came. Christ, overall. Christ, God. Jesus is not a man claiming to be God. Jesus is not a man indwelt by God. Jesus is not a man that's almost God. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And because he is, Jesus is the only remedy for our sin. Jesus came into this world to deal with the biggest problem in the world. And the biggest problem in your world and the biggest problem in mine is our sin. Our sin causes every other problem that we face. And yet my sin was punished on his cross. He lived the life that I could not live. He died the death that I deserved to die. And he offers an exchange. My death for his life. And he offers that not just to me, but to you. And in fact, he offers that to all who would believe. Here's my question for you today. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, why should I? Well, because there's nobody like Jesus. If you've already believed on the Lord Jesus, would you see Jesus as the only comfort for your sorrow? It's great to have good friends, but it's better to have Jesus. Jesus is the only comfort. He's the only help. He's the only hope that you and I could ever have. Jesus is the remedy for our sin. Jesus is the comfort for our sorrow. And last, Jesus is the only source for joy. Jesus is the only source for joy. The reason there's so much emptiness in your heart is because you're looking for something to fill it up other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trying to find some kind of joy in sexual pleasure. You're trying to find some sort of joy in addiction. You're trying to find some sort of joy in approval. You're trying to find some sort of satisfaction in alcohol or, or drugs. You're trying to find some sort of satisfaction in success or money or wealth. Listen, all of those things make terrible, terrible gods. Money is a great tool, but it's a terrible god trying to find satisfaction and joy in this life in all of these temporary fleeting pleasures there's only one place where eternal joy is found and that is in Jesus Christ hey, there's nobody like Jesus we hope this was a blessing to you for more information about First Baptist Church and sermons from Pastor Dave Delaney please visit us at www.fbclb.org.